Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Previously on The Tony Kornheiser Show. It was like a six-course special dinner. And we bought it for two, and we divided it. There was so much food that we used half on New Year's Eve and half on New Year's Day. Half the courses, not half the portions. Half the right? courses. Half okay. the courses. Yes, we just divided them up, and it had three different desserts. We just divided them up. Well, there was enough food for, for two. For it was two. not like a snake draft. You got the first pick. Or no, gets two no, 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 no. We agreed. We totally agreed. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. And to just let me add to that, because I mentioned the desserts. I did not say this the other day. One of the dessert courses was cookies for the next day. It was an even number of cookies, like 10 or 12. I ended up with three or four. Somebody else who lives in this house. you left out. Yeah. Somebody else who lives in this house ended up with the vast majority of the cookies, and the cookies were great. You are, you've heard Michael. Michael is socially distanced at six feet, one inches on Uncle Benny's table. At least you had the fruit slices. I didn't like the fruit slices, and they weren't good. But I, are, I am eating the, the cherry cordials, though I don't get a chance to eat anywhere near half the cherry cordials. But that's another story for another day. Uh, my doctor, Chris Duke, was over here the other day and was just so excited to, to see Uncle Benny's table and then wanted to see the upstairs <laughs> attic studio, and I took him up there, and it was, it was really nice. Did you take a picture? <clears throat> no, I, did. I don't know how to take pictures. I don't have a Polaroid anymore. Nobody does. And I don't know how to use my phone to take pictures, as you well know. I don't know how to take or receive pictures. Anyway, some of you are probably wondering, is he going to talk about what happened at the Capitol? No. I mean, we did this yesterday on PTI. You all saw it. You all know. um, I'm sure you know how I feel about this, that breaching that particular institution is criminal and should be met with arrests and criminal charges and those people who fomented that should be ashamed of themselves and they should not be running the country and i don't really think i have to have to do any more than that michael no and i think it's important to recognize that this is an evolving story particularly with leadership and what certain talks were day of versus who's been resigning in the days thereafter and you you end up you know you end up being behind the news cycle and if you start talking about certain things, and then you find out within an hour those things have been changed utterly. This is the problem with, with all forms of media, that it's not necessarily instantaneous. It is in that moment, but it doesn't hold for any particular length of time. So rather than go into this, we're going to move away, because although this show deals with politics and will continue to deal with politics in the future, uh, you know, not today. Today we have one of the great friends of the show, probably the official coach of this particular show, Brian Polian, who's special teams coach at Notre Dame. And Brian has written a book, and I want to get, Brian, I want to get the title correct, Coaching and Teaching Generation Z, Honor the Relationship, which I think is really catchy. I thought, I guess, War and Peace was taken, and so you decided, <laughs> decided on this particular title. So, I did. 
it did yeah. with the help of an with the help of an editor, which which you're very familiar with, I would imagine. Yeah, you should get a new editor. That's a really long title. But tell us, tell us what the book is about. And and in fact, did, in fact, did you write it your, yourself? Hard copy? Did you have somebody help you with it? Tell me about it. No, I wrote it myself completely. In fact, um, this, this all started a couple of years ago with my my return to Notre Dame. Um, Brian Kelly was coming off a four and eight season and the administration at Notre Dame decided, okay, instead of making wholesale changes here, we're just going to hit the reset button. And and I watched firsthand as Brian Kelly became less worried about what plays are we going to call in certain situations and more worried about the culture of the team, the building of relationships with with the players within the program and listening to their feedback and, and trying to create a more uh, give and take atmosphere within our football program. And as a result, we are 43 and eight uh, since that time. And, and that just struck me. And I felt the change in our world of coaching and frankly teaching and probably parenting to a certain degree that relationships and the building of the relationships are now the foundation of what we do. And Tony, you grew up in an era where Vince Lombardi said, we're running, you know, the power sweep and we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And my expectation is you're going to do this. And they didn't tell you why. And we were just raised in a time when whatever the coach says, that's it. And we move yes. forward. And hundred percent. Yeah. And th- those times have changed. If, and by definition, our job, especially in college now, I'm not talking about professionals, there is an ethical responsibility as a college coach to help develop these young people, not only as, as players, but also as men. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to be effective in doing that, we've got to focus on building relationships first. And this all crystallized for me. Coach Kelly and I were on a recruiting trip. We're, in a vi- we're on a visit to an all-boys uh, Catholic high school in, in Worcester, Mass. And we were sitting and having a conversation with the headmaster and, and coach Kelly is, is, uh, not only an excellent football coach, he's, he's a really inquisitive guy. And he's sitting with the headmaster's office and says, you run a school here with a thousand boys in it from grade nine through 12. You've been doing this for 20 years. What kind of advice can you give me? And, and the gentleman said before, you know, you have to honor the relationship before you can ask them to honor a task. And that just stuck with me. And it actually became a clinic presentation. Coaches speak at coaching clinics across the country. I was asked to speak at one. I did, the, I did an outline, did this presentation in a clinic. And a bunch of high school coaches came up to me and said, you know what? Not enough people talk about this stuff. There's a mental health crisis with the young people in America today. Um, this was worth exploring, and we appreciate you doing it. And I said, well, that, that's great. Thank you so much. And then the pandemic hit. And my wife, Laura, and my father, Bill, both said to me at separate times, um, if you're going to be locked up in the house, which we all were, and for, for somebody like me whose schedule is very regimented throughout the course of a year, um, I had to have something to do. I had to have a goal. I had to have some sense of purpose. So I took that outline and ended up writing this book. And, and look, it's not, you know, this is 105 pages. This is not 
rocket science, but for anybody that works with uh, young people, anybody that coaches, anybody that teaches, uh, I, I, I do think it's worthwhile because it explores this, you know, this dynamic of relationships with, with young people, why they're important, why they create um, a healthier situation, why it helps bring out the best and, frankly, attack it from even uh, diversity and inclusion. How does a 46-year-old white man like me uh, connect with an 18-year-old African-American and what do I need to do to establish a better relationship with somebody who's so different than me? It's very interesting. I mean, I was going to ask you, uh, because I'm sitting across from my son, who was a teacher for a while, and you know everybody gets older except the kids in your school, like because you're always bringing in new kids of the same age. And as you get older, I assume that that gap gets a little bit harder to bridge uh, with all teachers and all coaches. And so this is this is a way to bridge it, right? Yes, there's no doubt. And there are things, uh, Tony. There are things uh, as it relates to Generation Z, and Michael probably experienced this, but. For example, Generation Z has grown up in the age of technology. They've, not, they've never known anything different. You just talked about your, you know, I can't take a picture on my phone. Yet yeah. this generation can have a heartfelt, serious conversation, and they can do it via text, and it doesn't bother them one bit. To me, that would have been unfathomable that I could have had a serious conversation with a coach or a teacher and not have it sitting there eye to eye. But this generation can address serious matters and have deep conversations and do it with their thumbs over a phone. And to not understand that as a coach puts you at a disadvantage when you're trying to connect with, with this generation. That's just one of many examples of ways that, uh, you know, this group is different than what we, you know, grew up in. Oh, the technology has changed the world in the way that fire did. The internet is as important as fire historically. Brian's book is called Coaching and Teaching Generation Z, Honor the Relationship. Can I ask you a couple of football questions because so, I've got you? I'd love to. Yeah. So you, you, you have, Notre Dame has the best losses of the year. They've lost to Clemson, and they've lost to Alabama. They've lost to two teams that were in the playoffs. They also have one of the great wins of the year. They beat Clemson. When you looked at Alabama, when you looked at them on film for the first time, when you knew you were going to play Alabama, what did you see? Because I'm looking at Alabama. They may have the two best wide receivers in the country. They may have the first or second or third best running back in the country. And if people don't think that Mac Jones is great, how do you think these guys on the wideouts, how do you think, who's getting them the ball? I'm wondering, yeah. when you look at Alabama, what do you see? I see a lot of draft picks. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> and, and it begs, like, people always ask, why is not Nick Saban gone back to the NFL? Because he plays with more first-round draft picks at Alabama than he ever would at any NFL franchise. So um, they're exceptional. And I think in terms of offensive football in this day and age, where it's really become a speed perimeter game. And I think it's worth mentioning for the football fans who, who listen to your show, 10 years ago, Nick Saban was in 21 personnel running power and, and spoke openly about how he felt like up-tempo, no offense, or excuse me, no huddle offense was a threat to, to, to football in general. He questioned whether or not it was safe. Yet, 
he's evolved and understood that the game has changed and, and it's about putting um, skilled perimeter players in space. And when you build that way, you have to go back to what the Dallas Cowboys had. You have to have the triplets. You have to have a difference-making wide receiver. They have a couple. You have to have a quarterback that can pull the trigger and run the show, and you got to have a back. And Mac Jones, Najee Harris, and, and, and Devontae Smith are as good as you could find in the country in terms of those three positions on one team. When we were getting ready for Alabama, obviously I'm the special teams coordinator, and the Heisman Trophy winner is back there as the punt returner. And that's a scary proposition. And, and, we, <laughs> and we said, you know, we said, hey, listen, if, if we punt the ball 40 yards out of bounds, we're not going to be upset about it. And, and told our sophomore punter, who ironically enough is from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, um, we told our, our, our punter, Jay, hey, man, you know, hang it up there. We can't have a 55-yard ball down the middle of the field because if you do that with this guy, the band's going to be playing, and they're going to be playing the other team's song. Um, <laughs> so, and I will tell you, you know, I haven't been doing it forever. I've been doing it for 24 years now. Devontae Smith is the best player I've seen in person since we played Reggie Bush at USC. I mean, he's so electric. He's so fast. It's going to be a really interesting matchup on Monday night. And, and I think it's going to be a high-scoring game with Ohio State. And, and there are some interesting matchups across, the, across the, uh, the front there. Who do you like in that game? And do you, do you think it's, it's a wide margin? Or do you think that either team could win and it's a close game? I think that either team could win. I think it's like everything else. It's, um, you know, it's about matchups. Um, Ohio State traditionally is great in the defensive backfield. I think they're good this year. I don't know if they're elite great, and now you've got a matchup against the Alabama skill. Um, I, I do think, though, that, that Ohio State's front seven, even with the loss of Chase Young a year ago, is, is elite. And so now can the Alabama front, um, can, can they – can they keep the quarterback clean? And how much misdirection, how, my, how many quick throws, screen, screens, bubbles, uh, you know, how quickly will Alabama get the ball out in the space uh, to try and negate some of that Ohio State pressure? Um, on the other side of it, Justin Fields seems to be – now, I haven't studied him on tape, but when you look at him against Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship game, it was a little bit of a – of a struggle, and then you look at him against yes. Clemson, and he's great. he was great. He was great. Now, great. Clemson's unusual in the sense that they, they throw the, the kitchen sink at you. So if you can handle the pressure, there's going to be opportunities there. Um, Alabama is not going to pressure Ohio State the way that Clemson tried to. Just structurally, it's not what they do. So I think they'll try and disguise coverage a little bit more, not make it so, so clear as to where the one-on-one matchups are, and uh, it's going to be a heck of a game. Now, I, I do believe there's something to be said for one team's having played 12 or 13 games and the other one's going into their sixth or seventh. There's, I mean, that is a meaningful difference. So, Yeah, I, I mean, I, I never – I don't think Dabo Sweeney did it the right way in his explanation. I really don't. I think he brought the wrath of hell upon himself by doing yeah. what he did, running his big mouth. But I understand – conceptually how that matters 
a team with a fewer amount of games hasn't seen as many defenses, hasn't seen as many teams, is not as physically ready for for like as the other team is. It's played eleven or twelve. I mean, I believe that. I don't think any coach would dismiss that, would they? No, they wouldn't. And there's pros and cons to it. You know, they have not they have not seen as much. They they they're probably not as finely tuned as some other folks. Yet again, uh, on the flip side of it, they're probably healthier. Like yeah, one, one thing, yeah. one thing people don't understand when we played Clemson the first time, our starting center, who's a terrific player in the core of our offensive line, played in that game. Well, we we lost him to a broken foot in week eight or nine um, against Boston College. So um, you know, one team's going to be a little bit healthier, the other one's going to be a little bit more seasoned. Um, but there's to to ignore the fact that one team has played, you know, four or five more games than the other, I think is is a little bit disingenuous. Brian, thank you so very much for being on. Brian's book is Coaching and Teaching Generation Z, Honor the Relationship. As he said, it's about a hundred pages. So it's easy to do a book report on that one, kids. You don't <laughs> no have doubt. to read you don't have to read four thousand pages. Thank you, Brian. Talk to you soon, I hope. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, guys. Brian Polian, boys and girls, we will take a break. We will come back. Jason Lockenfora, yes, of CBS Sports, will join us. Talk about pro football, yes. That is right. Nigel? That's Terrific. Correct. I am Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Wonder Woman 1984 read. I like it. It's short. I, I think that's important. It's well done, and it's short. You can experience the epic adventure, Wonder Woman 1984, in theaters and on HBO Max now streaming at no extra cost to HBO Max subscribers. Plus, with HBO Max, stream the greatest collection of series, movies, and exclusive Max originals all in one place. Discover something new to watch. The Undoing, The Flight Attendant, His Dark Materials, and so much more. Not the name of a show, I don't think. Go to hbomax.com or download the app to sign up and start streaming today. Wonder Woman 1984 is rated PG-13, available to stream on HBO Max for 31 days from theatrical premiere. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Neil Shalansky, who writes, I'm a loyal little listener from the days as a grad student at the University of Hartford, listening to your show on 1410 ESPN Radio in Hartford, Connecticut in the 90s. He writes, Nigel, we don't have Bethesda bagels. We have locks, stock, and bagels in Bishop's Corner in West Hartford, Connecticut. I'm familiar with that. Also, I'm a Subaru driver where my kids are more important than yours, and I recommend that Michael consider an outback for Liz Bootsy and the Hammer. Here's a couple of tunes from my 2017 CD, Life is a Marathon, Not a Sprint. This one is called Reggae Reggae, and it plays in Jason Locke and Four of CBS Sports. We will do uh, two of Neil's songs today. Reggae, reggae, and later on, Super Purple Aardvark, which I like the name of that. I do that. Jason Lockenfour of CBS joins us now, and I don't think you can begin anything having to do with Wild Card Weekend without beginning with the Cleveland Browns and their situation and how this impacts their ability to win a football game, and not just any football game, but a playoff football game. What do you think? Sure. A significant tone. I mean, look, Joel Batonio is one of the best offensive linemen on the planet. He's out. They've already had a, a, some issues with that unit up front in recent weeks, even without him. Um, you've got, obviously, 
I think Kevin Stefanski's the coach of the year. Uh, he's done a tremendous job getting them to buy in, getting them to embrace this. Um, I hate saying this culture change thing, but but they've completely changed the vibe in that building. They now find ways to win games. They believe in themselves. They don't uh, self-destruct. They there's guardrails there. There's real discipline. Um, and, and and he has coaxed a lot of the bad out of Baker Mayfield and accentuated a lot of the good and stripped that thing down and built it around him and put that young man in position to succeed week in and week out. And other people could call plays. I, I get it. It'll be the same play sheet. But no one else has that same vibe, that 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 that, that feeling of, within Baker where there's already that inherent trust. They're so simpatico, and he knows that this dude – is going to have my back. And it's not just the play call, but you can communicate to them in their helmet, you know, until they cut that off. And I think a lot of what Stefanski does to kind of smooth that, that guy out and keep him, his head straight is also communicated on the sidelines and through, you know, the helmet during drives. I, I liken it to what McKay, uh, with Nick Vay did with golf um, mm-hmm. early in his mm-hmm. career. So Alex Van Pelt, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure he can, you know, Call place too, uh, but you lose a lot when 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 your head coach isn't there, especially a head coach who is this intimately involved with the offense. And let's face it, when they win, it's because of the offense, because the defense is not nothing special. And I think the one guy who's being left out of this conversation far too often is is Bill Callahan, who people in Washington know well from his time there, and obviously coached the Raiders to the Super Bowl. A long time ago, he's one of the best offensive line coaches in the league. He understands the run game and those concepts and the offensive line. And I suspect that he's going to be a central figure in their communication as well. And it wouldn't even shock me if at some point um, he's calling the place. So, you know, I mean, the first your first question about is is always can you delay the game and you can't delay the game because if you delay the game you put the winner at a competitive disadvantage the next week because you're not going to just delay their games all the way up and down the line so what it leads me to is not so much the cleveland circumstance but now my fear for down the road in the championship games and in the super bowl which is why i always come back to will they put those teams in bubbles now because you just cannot have an NFL champion based on the inability of certain players or coaches to be in the Super Bowl, right? I mean, you can't have that. Yeah, I, I mean, in, in a season like this, um, I guess you can't say in a year like this because we're 2021 now. Um, I, I just think anything is sort of possible. Um, you know, you're down to eight after this weekend. All those teams are incredibly motivated. Um, while you, you don't have bubbles, even what they're doing right now, I mean, it, it, it's worked better than I think anyone could have imagined or expected. Um, certain teams are going to be compromised in certain ways because of what's going on in this country, in the community, out and about. Not that people are, you know, gallivanting around town, but, you know, some kids are going to school in some parts of the country. I mean, there, there, is, there is still obviously um, relatively mundane ways to contract this, you know, leading your life and, 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 and even being super careful. Um, 
you know, I don't think the bubble thing is, is, is happening at this point. We're, we're right. 18 right. weeks in plus the previous six weeks of, of training camp. I, I, don't, I don't see them all of a sudden completely changing their, their sort of tune and trying to get something like that together on the fly. I think once you're down to four teams, those individual teams I think are absolutely um, – you know, I will be even more careful. You're, you're talking about, hey, guys, it's just five days if you could stay home and not go anywhere besides your house and the facility. Do I see them enacting full-blown um, new regulations with the NFLPA on the fly? I don't, Tone. I mean, they've that, that bubble thing has been the third rail. Like, neither side has wanted to go there at any point, even when the Tennessee Titans situation looked like it could derail the season, even when the Ravens situation looked like it could be um, something that does force a week 18 or something like that. They've never gone there, and, and I don't think this, you know, the events in Cleveland this week will change that. Well, I mean, my only pushback to that would be to say this is the first week of the playoffs, not the championship, not the Super Bowl. And, and to me, the worst possible situation would be a Denver Broncos situation facing a yes, Super Bowl would. team. Uh, that's, that would be pretty That's ugly. the worst. That's not a competitive Super Bowl. You know, what do you do then? I mean, that, then you have to postpone. Uh, you have to, right? I, I don't know. Right, they don't want to. Cat. They don't listen right. to what I say about that stuff. They don't want to say about anything. Right. But, right. yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Does that, do, they, do they change the standard if they get <sighs> to that point? I, it's, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, I, I don't know what they would do in that case. And, and look, maybe the final, again, the final four teams, or certainly once we get to the championship game. But I almost feel like everybody kept talking about everything being moved back. I, I was always saying, why don't they move some stuff up? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, like w- cut down on the drag time between games. It's almost like play that thing sooner if you could have. But I don't know, man. I, I just I, Look, I give them a lot of credit for what they've done to thread this needle to this point. But you and I and everybody listening knows that buys them nothing an hour from now, six hours from now, a day from now. That's right. um, this That's thing right. could take a drastic turn. All right, let me get to another issue, and this is one that Wilbon and I had to talk about at great length and with some enthusiasm, I would say. And that is Doug Peterson, who I believe changed the integrity of a particular game that had impact on the playoffs, obviously, and seemed uh, seemed to get him in a little bit of trouble with his players and maybe even his coaches. How do you read that situation? I'm sorry, Tone, which one? Doug Peterson. Yeah. Um, I think you're, you're going to find certain individuals who um, are obviously going to take exception to it. I, I think the idea that there was almost melees on the sidelines or things like that I, I think has, has been um, – grossly overblown people were certainly upset about how that played out but they they also were giving reps to Sudfeld it's not as if no one had any idea in that building that there's a chance the former practice squad guy might play a little bit in this game now were they thinking it's probably if we're getting blown out or, or we're blowing somebody out sure um absolutely I, I think the optics of it and the fact that it was the only game being played in the country and it was the final regular season game of the year yeah, yeah. and it had, you know, significant uh, playoff ramifications in, in, in a division that even though it stinks, it's a lot of big media markets, it's a lot of sort of 
um, old school glory NFL teams. I think you throw all that in a blender and it, it, it comes out and it doesn't taste too good. But there's been a lot of stuff going on in one o'clock windows and four o'clock windows for a while now that isn't all that different. And and Doug Peterson doesn't have any responsibility to Joe Judge whatsoever. And Joe Judge has been a part of some Week 17s in this league when he was in New England when he knows that people were doing what they wanted to do for their team and nobody gave a damn. He was raised by Bill Belichick. You think Bill Belichick cares about what anybody else ever did? Um, I can recall Bill Belichick pushing the boundaries, skirting the rules, some would say cheating over and yep. over and over again. Is the, it, I, I, where did Joe Judge come out then as a young assistant and resign because for the good of the game and competitive balance and all things holy and sane and, and pristine, I shall not take part. I am the arbiter of good football. I, don't, I missed that. I don't know. Maybe it happened. So I, I think people need to get off their stump and, and be real about this as well. Everybody's running their own fiefdom the way they want to ensure what they can get. Um, the Steelers, you know, the Steelers-Browns game had a lot of impact for, uh, you know, other teams potentially through tiebreakers and the like in the AFC wildcard. He took his bye week. Um, you know, Sudfeld, they've kept him around there for years. It's not like Hurts was having a great game by any stretch of the imagination. I think Doug Peterson's bedside manner could have certainly been better. But clearly, this was also involved from above. They wanted that sixth pick. It's not always pretty how some of the, you know, how the sausage is made. But I also think if there were six other games going on at that time, it's, it's probably not, the, you know, the biggest deal in the world. Uh, but I, I think the Giants have plenty to worry about on their own rather than worrying about how the Philadelphia Eagles operate. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow everything you said. Uh, I do take a different point of view, but I'm going to push back with this one part. Gambling is legal now, and the NFL has a piece of the gambling, if I'm not mistaken. A move like this changes, changes the result of a game. I mean, in more ways than keeping your starter in there. And when you pull the starter out, especially a starter like Jalen Hurts, who you're trying to see if he actually can play in the NFL, and you put in a guy who didn't play a single down all year, if I have money on that game, I want to jump through a window. And normally you would say, well, then don't put money on the game. But the NFL now is invested in gambling. Does that have a play in this? I mean, I don't know that they're in, I mean, they don't have the sort of official sponsorships and this is, I mean, on an individual level, a team level, but I haven't seen anything where blah, blah, blah is the official book of the NFL. I haven't seen them selling their next gen stats and proprietary info to one gambling house okay. or a bunch of gambling houses. So they, they haven't gone there yet, but I would, I would say, well, what if you had the over or the under in, uh, in the Bills game, and Matt Barkley comes in in the second half. You know, I mean, I guess you have to do your homework. It is a gamble. You are right. taking a risk. Right. Um, I, I mean, there were definitely people around the league who knew that the, the allure of the sixth pick was very right. significant to the Philadelphia Eagles. That was not a shock to me. I mean, it wasn't a shock to anybody I talked to in our production meetings about that game. Um, they, they're primary objective, and no one's going to come out and say it, they can't, um, was to secure as best a pick they could with a very uncertain future and with them unsure about the quarterback position and some other things with that roster. You know, so especially Week 17. I don't know why people would bet on Week 17 in general. There's so many variables. There's teams um, 
who were doing different things. You've got players who are trying to get certain incentives in meaningless games. You've got teams that want to throw a bone to certain guys who've been a good soldier for them all year and put them in a different role. And you've got are going to play their starters um, or already have a plan to start yanking them, but they're not going to announce it. I don't know that you can force right. them to announce it. So okay. I, I just I, think I, Week 17 is a minefield in terms of any kind of yeah. prognosticating or, or, or gaming. I want to get to one other topic, and that is the uh, persistent noise that Urban Meyer is interested in the Jacksonville job. Um, does that make sense to you? Is that something that we should look to? Oh, yeah. No, it's real. I was the first person to report on it, and it is, it is real, and he's their guy, and if they can make that happen, uh, they will. If, if, I, I don't think it'll be a prolonged, dragged-out coaching search like some of these other ones where they want to talk to 10, 11, 12 guys. The, the Jaguars have their ducks in a row. Shad Khan very much wants an audience with Urban Meyer. I expect that to happen this weekend. There's already been, you know, for weeks now, some sort of back-channeling and, and different sorts of discussions. Urban Meyer's been talking to people about putting his staff together. At the end of the day, could he leave them at the altar? Sure. Um, will they get it all together and make this thing happen? Uh, it, it's, it's, not, it's not over till it's over and all the documents are signed. But, they've, again, there's been, there's, there's been plenty of flirting going on there. And from the Jaguars' side, it's, it's more than flirtatious. They... That is the guy they are trying to get, uh, and they have a very good shot at getting him. So the obvious question then is, would he be in love with Trevor Lawrence like most people are, or would he be in love with Justin Fields? I think he would be just fine with Trevor Lawrence. The body of work okay. of what that young man yeah. put together, um, I, I don't see them getting super cute there or, or um, sort of trying to defy convention uh, Tr- Trevor Lawrence, it's, it's, there's just more, there's more good. Um, there's really not any bad. And that's, that, that's, there's much less risk with the Trevor Lawrence okay. than any other quarterback in that draft. Plug your radio show for us, Jason. Thank you, Tone. Uh, you can listen to me and my raspy voice from two to six. Oh, uh-oh. Copper, nice you don't hear dog. much on the radio, I promise, but you do hear him quite a bit when I'm talking to Tone. Two to six yeah. on 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore, inside access with Jason Lockaport, Ken Wyman, and Copper, the mouthy dog. We talk a lot of Ravens. We talk some Terps, a little bit of Washington football team. The show does have a heavy football bent, if that's your thing. Um, and we play a lot of punk rock, if you like that. So that's, that's pretty much all I got, Tone. Happy New Year to everybody, and enjoy the games. Thank you, Jason. Jason Lockenfora is simply the best. He's just simply the best. We will take a break. We will come back. Do, is Carville going to join us today? Jeff Ma, I assume, will join us. Is Carville going to join us? He was 2-1. and one. Well, uh, Jeff is definitely going to join us. I've texted back and forth. Right. And we've reached out to James a few times this morning. We don't, so we don't know. We never we, know. We have not heard back. We're hopeful, but we don't know. Well, we never know. It's, it's totally all right. All right. Uh, so we'll take a break. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the solo stove ad. Whether you're camping in the woods or at a backyard get-together, there's nothing like a roaring fire to bring you back to what matters. The things, digital distractions, and the frenzy of everyday life make too easy to forget. Warmth, 
brilliance connection. Those fireside moments ground you in what it means to be human. That's very well written. I, I'm and, and I'm not even going to disagree I with it. I want to go to there. Yeah, there is there is a romance. <laughs> there is a romance about sitting around a fire. And it, it does not necessarily, it's not necessarily with your family. It's not necessarily with a date. It's not necessarily with your friends. It's any or all of those things. Nobody, when they picture sitting around a fire, everybody pictures different people sitting around a fire. Some people probably would just sit by themselves in, in a fire and get lost in it. Because everybody who builds a fire anywhere looks at the logs, looks at the flame, and begins to drift away. And that's that. that there's, is, there's nothing better than allure. being the keeper of the flames. Yeah, that's the total allure. It's the total allure. I get it. Solo stove creates story-worthy moments. No, I just said that. Fireside fumes not included. Stainless steel construction designed to regulate airflow and burn more efficiently. So little smoke, you wonder how there's so much fire. You know... I, yeah, I get that. You wonder, but don't don't involve yourself with the science of it. Just sort of enjoy it. From camp stoves to backyard bonfires, solo stove products are portable. They're built to last. They're easy to light with a few bits of starting. Fires blazing in minutes. So there's there's more than one. So they make a line of products. Yes, not just the thing that you have. Correct. I didn't realize that. We have that. the bonfire. Yeah, I didn't realize well, that. Well, Shannon have the bonfire now. Yeah, they've got it. Well, Looking Chris has out it. Over, with the moon splashed over the Okatee River. Just wonderful. No one needs a reason to gather around the fire. Solo Stove just took away any reason not to. That's a very good line. And now you can get $10 off when you use the promo code TONY at checkout. Go to solostove.com, S-O-L-O-S-T-O-V-E, solostove.com. And remember, you get $10 off when you use the promo code TONY. So what do we encourage you to do? Use the code, people. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Neil Shalansky. And his band features his brother, Mark, who does piano player and a producer who also teaches at the Berklee School of Music in Boston, which is world famous. Um, Neil says, our plan was to visit Chatter now that it's closed. Maybe we'll have to visit the Loomis Chafee School for the Rich in Windsor and find out the legacy of Chris Saliza. Thanks for all that you and the gang do. This is called Super Purple Aardvark. And Michael, if original music from people like Neil Shalansky comes to us, how does it get in the door? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. And the sign is still up at Chatters, so feel free to stop by and maybe play a few songs. <laughs> there you go. Never got that permit. Oh, oh. oh that would be so good. Okay, so... Um, as expected by me, we do not have James Carville. Even though Carville was 2-1, and one, Carville picked three college bowl games and was 2-1. and one. Michael believes that he is heading right now to Buffalo with Luke Russert to watch the Indianapolis Colts at the Buffalo Bills. And uh, for those people interested in that game, to me, uh, I think it is a factor that the quarterback for Indianapolis, Phillip Rivers, spent his entire career outdoors in San Diego, and then one year now, one year indoors in Indianapolis. But we have Jeff Ma from Bet the Process, and Jeff is ahead of all of our prognostic. Well, I guess Carville, since we gave him a clean slate, and he's two and one, so that's sixty-seven percent. Jeff was two and three last week, forty-three, thirty-nine, and three ahead of the monkey, ahead of Chuck Todd. What are you picking for us? 
wait, I, I, I wanted to talk uh, briefly about that game last week with involving your team and how the yeah, the I, there was no integrity to that game. I'm very upset at that game, and I, I've been shouted down by football people all over the country. But I'm upset at that game. But go ahead. Well, so that line when I picked it was I think one and a half. And then there was quite a bit of news about the fact that Philly was not going to play competitively, and even the, the Sudfeld information came out. And that line went all the way up to seven, meaning Washington was favored by seven points at one point. I think it's They won by six. six and a half. Yeah, it right. settled in at six and a half. And what was interesting about that game was at halftime, if you had been watching that game at halftime, and the they were, let's see, Washington was up by three, and the second half line was three also, which means that at that point it was six points for the game. What, who would you have bet on watching Alex Smith play and seeing you know Jalen Hurts play? Would you have thought at that point not you know if you didn't have any knowledge about Sudfeld playing that you know Philly had a very good chance to win that game? As bad as Jalen Hurts was throwing the ball, he had scored two touchdowns running the ball. I would have bet on Philadelphia because Washington looked like it could not score any offensive points, right? You would agree with that, wouldn't you? Yeah, that was that's definitely my point. But the line indicated yeah. that people still fundamentally believed what was going to happen, what happened was going to happen, meaning that yeah. uh, Doug Peterson was going to put, you know, Zach Sudfeld in, or Nate Sudfeld in and actually get that situation, which, which was crazy. I agree with you. It was, it, it was, it was abominable. Um, and it was it was a very sad moment for the league in my mind. And, and listening to Chris a, and Al talk about it was was incredible. Yeah, that's that's really how I felt. That I mean, what are you doing? You're sabotaging the game here. You know, the, I mean, we just had Jason Lock and Four on, and he makes this very good point. You might not have even concentrated on it if it were not the Sunday night game and the only show the NFL had at that moment. It might have drifted in, you know, to the porridge with everything else. But on Sunday night, it's, di it's different. The NFL must, must see the responsibility in that, but they don't seem to. Well, you know, I mean, do you think it's the NFL or do you think it's, it's Peter? Like, whose responsibility is it there? Well, and Peterson, but the, NF the NFL should have said something about it after the fact. I think, and they didn't. They should have. But football I mean, players guys, say shut up, so who knows? I don't know. The NFL has no, no ability to ever admit it's wrong, right? That's the league that's yeah. never wrong. So yeah, we never, just battle apparently. through COVID and, and don't worry about it either. So, Which is a good segue right. into this week's games, right? Because ultimately this week's lines are dominated by COVID news. Um, you know, the, the one of the games that I like, I like Cleveland plus the I mean, this was a three-and-a-half-point line, but based on all the COVID news, i.e. no Stefanski and, and, you know, little to no practicing, it's been bet all the way up to Pittsburgh minus six. But I, I, I think Cleveland is, is value here at plus six. Um, really? They're a team okay. that's, that's kind of funny because offensively, so their defense is probably worse than people think, and their offense is probably better than people think. And a lot of that is because they played some really, really poor weather games, which are weighing down, but way you know, sort of overrating and underrating both those stats. But at the end of the day, Pittsburgh just has not been a very good team recently, and and I just don't think that they should be giving six points to Cleveland here. Okay, what else? I'm going to take New Orleans. Sorry, I'm going to take Chicago plus the ten and a half against New Orleans. Um, the current state of Drew Brees, 
they'd actually be better having Taysom Hill start. And I know that most people won't believe that, but with, you know, Drew Brees probably less than 100%, um, Taysom Hill actually gives them a better chance to win. And, you know, if, if he were playing in this game, I probably wouldn't take Chicago. But with Brees playing in, in a less than 100% state, you know, we, we saw this game recently. It went to overtime. Um, Chicago is getting much better quarterback play at this point. And like we said, Breeze Breeze is a bit banged up. So I like Chicago plus the ten and a half here. Okay. And I'm gonna take uh let's see, the Rams plus the three and a half. Um again, this is a game we saw relatively recently. Seattle was minus one going into that game. Now they're minus three and a half. So what's changed? Well obviously what's changed is the quarterback situation, um and you know, potentially Cooper Cup, but I just don't think they were getting quarterback play from Jared Goff that would have warranted this to be such a big line difference based on him versus Wolford and there's a chance he might play anyway. So um, I think the Rams plus a three and a half is value. Okay. Anything else? You got to have a couple Yeah, there's, more. there's one other one that I think that we'll take a look at. I mean, Baltimore, Tennessee, Baltimore is a team that if they were playing at the the way they are right now, meaning like recently they've they've been playing close to what they were at last year, is that just a short term um sample size or are they really that much better than you know than they were for the bulk of the season? Tennessee is, is the best offense in the league. Um you know, they they've been that way and for, for quite some time. They're getting three and a half. Um, again, this is a situation where COVID has influenced this a bit. Um, it was earlier three, it popped to three and a half based on some of the COVID news. Um, and I, I like, I like Tennessee plus a three and a half. You do. Does, is any of that sort of the recent history and playoffs of Lamar Jackson, where he has failed? He's 0-2 and, and, and bad, a bad 0-2, actually. No, it, it really isn't. I mean, it, it really is just based on the fact that Baltimore um, has not been the Baltimore of last year, and I think people are saying that they are now based on this line. And Tennessee has right. been an incredible offensive team. They, they struggle, obviously, very much on defense, specifically against the pass. Baltimore is not a great passing team, so I don't think that they're – uh, weakness is as um, it's 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 just not as bad against a team like Baltimore. So you know, again, like in a game where Tennessee is going to be able to score points, I like them getting the three and a half points. Is that four games it, or do you want to do any more? That that's it. I mean, the the one okay. game I know that you guys probably care about is is Washington, and, and and I think that there's just too much uncertainty there based on Alex Smith's health because. Yes, and ultimately, yes. if 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 you want to look at this right, if this line, which is at eight right now, it was at eight and a half, it went down to eight. We had talked about this on our podcast, thinking that it would go up, and the fact that it's going down, I think, is a good sign for Washington because it means that the people that really know believe that Smith will be much healthier this this week than he was last week. If this goes to set down to seven and a half or even seven, it really means that that Smith health is, is probably, you know, like you, you can often read the market because the market just knows things that, that we don't all know. Um, and I think if it goes up, that, that means that Smith isn't going to be particularly healthy. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. The, the podcast that he's talking about is Bet the Process with Rufus Peabody, who, as we say all the time, went to high school with every single person who listens to this <laughs> podcast. 
which makes me so happy. Thank you, Jeff. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Tony. Jeff Ma, boys and girls. I, if I had to disagree with any of these, I, I, you know, actually, I lean the other way on all four of these. I do. So let's see if Jeff knows more than I do, which he does. There's no question about that. <laughs> and if Carville wants to get back to us at any given point, he knows how to do it. So we will take a break. We will come back with email and... We, we have a lot of email. They're all really good, and we have one email in particular that I want to get to. I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening, You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the FitBot ad. Nigel, you do this. You use this. And, That's right. And it says, share how your fitness routine goes now and how it may have changed you know, during, during the pandemic and what are you doing and all of that and fresh starts you're planning on for 2021 with FitBot. Go ahead. Well, the thing about, you know, during the, the lockdowns, you may be able to go to gym. Maybe you don't feel like going to the gym. You're not comfortable there. This yeah. is great because it gives you the exercises depending on the level that you're at and what you want to achieve and gives you video tutorials about, you know, how to do the various exercises with or without equipment. So it really covers the gamut of every possible scenario that you could be looking for. And it's great because it keeps you focused, particularly, as you said the other day, January is the busiest month for gyms yes. and you people sure. wanting to get in shape and, and sticking to that. And this year it seems harder than ever, but Fitboard really does help you break through all that to get your fitness needs met. So when I've been in gyms, I have seen people um, look at their phones oh, sure. and they appear to they appear to be looking at phones for exactly what you're talking about, how to do this particular exercise. I me personally, I would not do this because the people showing you how to do the exercise are 30 years old and they're the most fit people <laughs> on the planet. And I go, I, well, I can't, you know what? I can't do that. But I mean, that's what FitBot gives you, and you you can use it. FitBot understands that the path to achieving your best looks is different from for everyone. FitBot creates a program based on your unique body, your experience, and your environment. Their algorithm uses dates and analytics to help you build on your last workout and maximize your results. Whether you're exercising three days a week or twice a day, twice a day. Every workout is scientifically proven to be better than the last. FitBot workouts are balanced to avoid overworking muscles, as if you have them, with varied <laughs> exercises to keep you sharp. No equipment, no worries. FitBot has body weight routines for those looking to get fit at home or on the go. Super easy to use, and as Nigel says, has HD video tutorials to make learning new exercises a breeze. Um, get out of hibernation and start off the year stronger than ever with FitBot. Get 25% off a membership when you sign up now through February 28th. So that's a month and a half at fitbod.me slash Tony. That's 25% off your membership at fitbod.me slash Tony. Fitbod is spelled F-I-T-B-O-D dot me slash Tony. And as we always urge you, use the code, people. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Greg Rosendahl, Lindsay Merrill, thank you so much for that. Nigel, you want to do the Bethesda bagel ad here? Oh, yes, we love Bethesda bagels. You would as well. You we act got so surprised. Every time. I, I ask you to do it every day. Why do you act so surprised? Oh, yes. 
Yeah. It's, it says it in in the stage direction. It says man asks about bagels, acts surprised. So I'm just I'm just okay. following stage directions there. But yes, bagels, uh, Bethesda bagels. We love. We got the bagel sandwiches today, which always makes us very happy. All you need to do is, is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the Washington D.C. area nearest you. Then stop on in, and you will be thrilled. That'll just about do us do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say, Blue Jean Baby, L.A. Lady, seamstress for the band. Pretty-eyed, pirate smile, you'll marry a music man. Ballerina, you must have seen her dancing in the sand, and now she's in me, always with me. Tiny dancer in my hand, that's Elton John. And Nigel, you put this together because of the scene in Almost Famous, did you not? That's right. It just seems like everyone's upset right now. So if we could just get on the bus with Stillwater and start singing yeah. that song, I think that would help us all out. Thanks to our guest today, Brian Polian. His new book is called Coaching and Teaching Generation Z, Honor the Relationships. Our thanks to Jason Lockenfor of CBS Sports and Jeff Ma of Bet the Process. Thanks as well to our sponsors today, FitBod, Solo Stove, and HBO Max, where you can stream Wonder Woman 1984 right now. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Radio.com. If you get the show through iTunes, please leave us a review. All right. So this first email is You're an smiling. unbelievable delight. I'm just going to read it to you. <laughs> Hello. I hope this email finds you well. My name is Lara, PR director at Skechers. Great to e-meet. We heard Tony's mention of wanting pairs of Skechers. Pairs. pairs. Plural. Of Skechers in a ten and a half during his Howie Long You're birthday shout-out on Pardon the Interruption the other day. We would love to fulfill this request. Would you mind confirming ten and a half is his accurate size and providing the best place to deliver? This is so great. Ten and a half is the actual size. At the end of saying happy birthday to Howie Long, I said, on a personal note, could you hook me up with Skechers? I'm a ten and a half. And, and it's going to happen. It's just nothing is better than this when it happens. Right? It's so wonderful. Perfect for those long dog walks. Just wonderful. From Lucas D'Alessandro to the guy who said ketchup goes on poutine. No, it doesn't. I didn't say it goes on poutine. Lucas is from Montreal, Quebec, where poutine comes from. Not Canada, Quebec. <laughs> from Steve Hines in Ottawa, Ontario. Poutine? Poutine? Talking about poutine. poutine. This dish consisting of French fries, gravy, and cheese curds. No shredded cheese, for God's sakes. Is as Canadian as you Americans consider your hamburger to be American. We love you up here in the great white north, Tony, but you were pushing it with this misstep. I was unfamiliar with poutine. I'm sorry. From Zach Drescher in Kensington, Maryland. Love the show's recent pivot to cooking mishaps and condiment <laughs> preferences. I have a cautionary kitchen tale to share with you and the rest of the littles. Last week I was making chili using a recipe I've followed countless times. It may not be Wilbon's chili, but it's pretty good. Like most chili recipes, it calls for chili powder, which we were running low on. The woman whom I'm related by marriage produced a new jar she had purchased at the grocery store the other day. The label said Chipotle Chili Powder, made by the Morton and Bassett Company of San Francisco. I use the company's name specifically because I have a problem with the way they marketed this particular spice. Because it was spelled C-H-I-L-I on, on the label, we both assumed this was going to be a smokier Chipotle version of normal chili powder, which traditionally includes cumin, and other flavors to balance out the spiciness of the pepper. You'll be surprised to hear this was not the case. The chili came out hot, really hot, like Indian food ordered in India hot. We couldn't get through more than four bites without fearing the damage we were inflicting on our throats would become permanent. So I guess if Michael can please send his recipe along, that would be wonderful. Hmm. Now, did you, use a, uh, did you use beer for that chili? 
I don't know. You're asking them, not me. Well, Nigel has a great chili recipe. From Leslie Thomas. <laughs> Dear Mr. Tony, I almost came out of my seat when I heard you actually say Statesboro on your show. I came to Statesboro, Georgia from Vienna, Virginia to attend college in 1976. My first thought was, where the heck am I? There are only a few places to eat besides a school cafeteria. Shoney's Big Boy, Dairy Queen, Franklin's, home of the world's worst apple pie. Seriously, that was on the billboards <laughs> leading into town. And Vandy's Barbecue. No Zaxby's, but we seem to manage just fine. And my sister has no condiments in her house or her refrigerator. Thank you for all my working knowledge of golf, the Eastern Shore, and betting on football that I always attribute to you. From Kevin in Memphis, Tennessee. Two things. First, my David Aldridge moment happened when you read Graham Van Hook's Christmas card. I shouted in my car, I know him. He and I are both in the Navy and have worked together a couple of times. Second, during the mailbag on Wednesday, Michael's comments about condiment use concerns me. He said you don't even put ketchup on eggs, <clears throat> and you don't even put mayo on grilled cheese. I know he has culinary prowess, but are these really his primary uses for these condiments? What's next? You don't put ranch dressing on pizza? You don't put mustard on your Big Mac? Thanks for keeping the show going and adding back in the regulars more often. You Obviously, you put ranch on pizza. I'm joking for this. I need a moment. So the ketchup on eggs is nostalgia for me. This brings me back to my undergrad days at Penn, going to Steak Queen, and getting a steak, egg, and cheese, salt, pepper, ketchup. So there's something about the warmed-up ketchup on an egg sandwich it's specifically for an egg sandwich for me i totally get hot sauce on other eggs but normally it's just a crack of crack of salt now the mayonnaise on a on a grilled cheese lightly lather the outside and this means you're not going to have a you don't have to watch it as closely because it doesn't have the same smoke point as butter so it's not going to burn okay Again, it sounds weird but it gives you a perfect crust all about that crust jonathan barnett i i thought it was all about the base jonathan Jonathan Barnett, Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. Come it was on, massively man. entertaining to listening to all the emails regarding condiments and them having Michael ask you randomly if you use condiments in ways only my children would do. Ketchup on eggs is a travesty. My wife puts ketchup on bratwurst. I'm withholding her name because such a thing might get her deported from the Midwest. It is gross, and I berate her for it every time. Ketchup is what children use to make all their food taste like candy. Mayo is just a way of telling the world your food was served without enough fat, and you're going to remedy that I'm yourself. I'm sure he uses barbecue sauce. Jared from Terre Haute, you sing your son's praises as a cook, but after hearing Michael's admission of putting ketchup on eggs and mayonnaise on grilled cheese, it's clear you failed as a father. Try the mayo on grilled cheese. The pony picture didn't help either. From Steve Ryan, a safety inspector. Hearing the opening from Wednesday's show, I realized Michael was in the background listing his ingredients for homemade honey mustard. This reminds me of a story from back when we went out to eat. My wife and I had settled in at a local eatery. I ordered chicken fingers, followed by the waitstaffer, asked if I needed a dipping sauce. I said I would like honey mustard. The staffer said they were currently out of honey mustard. I asked if they had honey and was told that indeed they had honey. I then asked if they had mustard and was told they had mustard. I requested a small amount of each. When the staffer presented my order of chicken fingers with a small serving bowl and honey and another bowl with mustard, the staffer looked surprised when I mixed them together. Life is not all that complicated. Thanks for the laughs. From Doug in Aspen via, via Roslyn. It's either Roslyn, Virginia or Roslyn, Long Island. As a child, I chased my brother Brian around with a ketchup bottle, threatening to squirt him and spraying it near him. He did not like ketchup. He still doesn't. It traumatized both of us since any ketchup-related meal brings up awkward looks. From S. Dutta, D-U-T-T-A, in Columbus, Ohio. Are we all just going to pretend Michael didn't suggest using mayo on grilled cheese? What was that? Impressively, a confused huh was uttered by me in synchronicity with Mr. Tony's own bewildered response. From Kyle Tomini, or Tomini in Canton, Georgia. 
Wednesday started off and continued as an incredibly stressful day for me between work, family, and then finally politics. I left to drive home and turned on your podcast, Sugar Sugar. I immediately started smiling and laughing at the recap and continued discussion of condiments. It was the highlight of my day, and I just want to say thanks for taking something so stupid and making it funny and making me smile and laugh. And from Maureen Kelly in Queens, New York, Dear Dr. Tony, this email isn't for you. To all the Littles and Michael who find it acceptable to put ketchup on your eggs, you're all monsters. Egg sandwich. Hot sauce or die, baby. (laughs) I'll do one more. Nathan in Astoria. This week's ketchup diaries reminded me of a fond, if silly, memory I have of my late grandpa, Joe. Joe was a gourmet Italian chef, born in Italy, and immigrated to Canada in the 40s. Not only did he hate ketchup, he categorically banned it from his home, so my mother and my two uncles did not know what ketchup was until they discovered it among friends. Grandpa Joe, should the topic of dread condiment arise, was often heard saying that to put ketchup on meat was, and I quote, barbaric. Although I do not share your disdain for ketchup, I have never stopped thinking of it as the barbaric condiment. Thank you for helping me remember Joe now five years gone and his disdain for that awful product. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Who's your favorite pitcher? Max Scherzer. What does Max Scherzer do? Six. Who's your favorite batter? Soto. Soto? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>